please join us for the fifth episode of I Dream of Genie. G.I. Genie. Bewitched, bothered, and bewildered am I. Welcome to Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered our podcast about magical sitcoms of the 1960s. I'm Frank. And I'm Molly. And you're joining us for the fifth episode of I Dream of Genie. G.I. Genie. But before we get started, we're going to give you a brief synopsis. When Genie announces that she wants to be his secretary, Tony tells Genie that she has to join the Air Force. Jeannie is inscripted in the WAFs, and she completes basic training with high hopes of becoming closer to her master. But with all the rules and regulations, is there any room for a little magic in the military? Excellent. (laughs) <laughs> the show opens up with the old genie theme song. This is the theme song that was only used for the first season. The very famous theme song that everyone associates with genie started in season two through the end of the series. Hmm, I did not know that. Yeah, Sidney Sheldon apparently hated that first theme song. They switched it out as soon as they could. He should have found a lot of other things to hate. (laughs) I think the theme song is the least of the problems that I see in this one. kind of like it actually maybe that just means like Sydney Sheldon and I have different taste yeah it, it has kind of a dreamy romantic quality I, I, I love the one that followed of course but but this one's really pretty good too yeah. Tony is in his attic study searching for important classified papers He's asking Jeannie where they are and telling her to come out. And when she doesn't come out of her bottle, he dumps water on her in her bottle. Yeah. Now, come on. I mean it. Yeah. He empties out the nearest flower vase and just empties the contents into the bottle. This time you've gone just too far. Who has flower vases all around in their study? Let's assume that it's a, a lovely feminine touch that Jeannie has added to his life. Perhaps. I hope she changed the water recently because that could be pretty gross. It, it really can be. Jeannie shrieks with displeasure at being doused with cold water. Oh, now has tried to drown me. Oh, yeah? What? Well, 
don't tempt me. <laughs> so then they start to have an argument about where the papers are. And Jeannie, of course, blinks herself dry because when it suits the plot, she can quickly do magic to solve any problem. Correct. All right, now what did you do with them? What did I do with what, Master? The papers I brought home from the air base this afternoon. The ones you said were so important? Yes, yes, those are the ones. I put them in the top drawer of my desk and they're not there now. Well, of course not. Since you told me of their importance, I hid them where they would be safe. It's a shame because it seems like it was a real wet t-shirt opportunity there. Yeah, I bet that's why she dried herself off. The censors probably were upset about it. If you notice for this entire episode, she has her scarf again draped over her midsection. I'd say that network censor was leaning hard on Sydney. Yep, I bet they were. <laughs> Jeannie, I told you never to touch my papers. If they'd been lost, I'd be in really big trouble. I put them in a hiding place where they will never be found. Well, they're... They are... They are hidden. Yes, yes, I I know that, but where are they hidden? And, of course, Tony is wearing a cardigan and a button-up shirt because that's how we all hang around the house. (laughs) I wonder if they really did hang around the house like that then or if that's just what it showed on TV, like they couldn't show things so casual as a sweatshirt and jeans. He's a little bit of an uptight guy, and he's in the military. I think we always end up seeing Tony in a uniform of some sort. Yeah, that's true. Um, are they uh, Are they under a cushion? Um, uh, under the rug? Uh, 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 behind a picture? In a book? In a purse? In a hat box? In a, well, uh, that's foot, it. What, what? A suitcase. <laughs> I took the small suitcase from the hall closet. Yes. And then I very carefully put the papers inside. Yes. And then I very carefully locked it. And then I very carefully took the key. And, and, and you very carefully hid it. Yeah. In a place where nobody would ever find it. That is right. <laughs> is right here. Oh, Jeannie. Please, don't scare me like that. You did not think I had lost it. Oh, well, you must admit that you had a little difficulty in remembering that you had put the papers in the suitcase. But I had no difficulty remembering where I'd hidden the key to the suitcase. They have a boring argument, which goes like a lot of their arguments, with Jeannie saying, essentially, stop yelling at me, I'm not dumb, and Tony apologizing, and then Jeannie saying, oh, wait a minute, I am dumb. But I'm bump. Exactly. No, no, that's that's true. And I, I'm only too glled to humbly apologize for doubting you, but I only think Wait, that- Master. If you do not mind, I would rather have you humbly apologize after. After what? After I remember where I have hidden the suitcase. (laughs) She hid the papers so carefully that she can't remember where they are. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And why would she hide his papers? Who knows? She's like an incompetent housekeeper. Yeah. It's like there's a language barrier that she does things. Specifically, he doesn't ask her to do. This sort of thing happened at my work the other day. (laughs) It's a kind of newbie mistake. I'm sure that when I had my first job, some form of audio dyslexia occurred and I did the opposite of what I was told. Yeah. That happens to everybody, but it happens all the time to Jeannie. Yeah, she's kind of like a toddler. You know, she does the opposite (laughs) of what she's told. After spending all day with a toddler yesterday, I can say that Jeannie strikes me as like a toddler. Well, is it because she's willful? I don't think she's doing it out of spite. (laughs) She's very willful. She's willful. Uh, She's going to marry Tony Nelson, whether he (laughs) likes it or not. 
she's going to clean up his house the way she wants, no matter what he tells her to do. So she's quite willful. She's going to be Anthony Nelson's secretary, whether anyone wants her to or not, or whether she's qualified or not. That's what this whole episode is about. I think she's very willful. The next scene is Tony finishing breakfast and Jeannie about to serve him some more coffee in a very housekeeperly move. Uh, no, 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 thanks, Jeannie. I've got to get going. i got a ton of work waiting for me on my desk. And he suddenly has to leave for work. Will you be home for dinner tonight, Master? No, I'm afraid not, Jeannie. Looks like another late session. Again? Mm-hmm. You have had to work late every night this week. Well, I'm assigned to a pretty important project. That is because you were the wisest master in the whole world. Listen, I gotta get going. Have a good day, Jeannie. Are you not going to kiss me goodbye? Now remember our bargain. Tony is clearly struggling to keep his relationship with Jeannie sexless and free of romantic entanglement. This is a purely platonic relationship. Oh, yes, purely platonic. And you agreed to, to keep it on that basis because you knew it was the best way, right? No, I agreed because I did not know what platonic meant. It's another name for friendship. Oh. Uh, um, pals, uh, good buddies. Without a lot of cleverness or subterfuge, she gets him to kiss her. Yes, but he obviously, when kissing her back, is completely mesmerized and then gets his wits about him and walks out. Then uh, what about a friendly kiss goodbye? Well, I don't suppose there's any harm in that. Mm-hmm. You're the best buddy a buddy ever had. <laughs> Their kiss is about as flat and dead as anything I'd expect from Darren. Yeah, it's just a TV 1960s kiss. You know, they're not allowed to make out. They're only allowed to give a smooch. They press dry lips together and then weirdly freeze. Kind of like how you'd kiss your grandmother only longer. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> assuming the pose. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we have Roger at work. Well, Tony, did uh, you have a minute for a cup of coffee? Sure, Roger. That'd be a quick one. Boy, what a depressing day this figures to be. Yeah, I know. This paperwork's getting me down, too. Yeah, that's not the paperwork that's bugging me. It's Beverly. He's totally in love with the lieutenant in the WAFs. Totally heartbroken. Beverly? Yeah, Beverly Anderson. She's a lieutenant in the WAFs. I met her a couple weeks ago at the club. Oh, man. What a woman. Tony, want to know something? It was love at first sight. Again? When Tony questions him further, he finds out that he's really heartbroken because she'll be gone for eight months and he can't possibly go without dating other women during that time. She's in North Africa. North Africa? Shipped off this morning. Shipped off this morning. There's a big personnel shortage and all the new Africans are being sent overseas. They're continuing to push forth this idea that Roger is such a horn dog that he can have no fidelity or loyalty to any woman longer than, what, couple of dates? Yeah. By then, there's bound to be someone else. Someone else will probably be dozens. Well, if Beverly's so crazy about you, why would she live for somebody else? Who's talking about Beverly? I was talking about me. (laughs) Only eight months is a long time, you know. Isn't that unbelievable to you? I totally don't buy Roger as a playboy. It's part of the joke, I think. I mean, like, Tony is clearly the better-looking guy here, 
but it's not very funny. <laughs> no, Roger's kind of a bumbling dude. He fishes out a little black book from his desk and begins rummaging through it. These girls may not be Beverly, but they're here. <laughs> now, let's see what we have in the little old goodie book. Tony looks genuinely irritated at Roger's lack of loyalty and his fickleness with women, and he just walks out on him. Roger keeps on talking as if Tony was still there. Thanks for cheering up, Tony. You've been a real... I am not sure what moral high ground Tony is coming from. <laughs> like, yeah, it's true. He's got a genie in his bedroom and he's dating other women. And I just think they put Roger in the dumb role also, which is strange. And I just thinking about it, a lot of the characters in the show, the funny thing about them is that they're dumb. Yes. Don't you think that's where a lot of the humor plays? Like they just don't get it. Except for Dr. Bellows. I love Dr. Bellows. And he's not in this episode, unfortunately. Yeah, he doesn't seem to play much of a role in this first season so far. I feel his absence the way I feel the absence of Agnes Moorhead as Endora. We've gone through about four episodes of Bewitched without her. I miss the smart voice. I miss the incisive voice. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Oh, he has a lot of dummies running around. I know, I know. <laughs> and a lot of physical comedy. Yeah. The extreme of being accident prone is portrayed here. To a great big yawn from me. <laughs> Tony enters his office where, surprise, there's Jeannie <laughs> waiting for him. I thought you would never get here. Jeannie, what are you doing here? I miss you. I just left the house. Oh, but that is when I miss you most. She's like a Labrador. She's a lovelorn puppy following him from place to place. Yes, a toddler Labrador. <laughs> No, 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 no. You've got to get out of here on the double. Come on, come on. Oh, may I not stay for just a few minutes? No, no, absolutely not. But I'm working with highly classified material. If anybody sees you here, I could be court-martialed. Oh, no one will see me. Oh, yes, they will. My secretary, and right now. Now, come on. You have a secretary? Well, here's the part where she finds out he has a secretary. Gets very jealous right away. Mm-hmm. But she's delighted to hear that it is a 45-year-old man. Yes, until suddenly and unexpectedly... Tony gets a replacement secretary, Corporal Lola Burns. Um, Sergeant, just uh, hold on a minute. I'm on the phone. I'll, uh, I'll just be a minute, Jeannie. Je- Jeannie? Well, wherever you are, just stay there, huh? Uh, come on in, Sergeant. I'm Corporal Burns, Captain. I've been assigned as your secretary. Corporal Lola Burns, who is a brunette, tremendous innuendo in the way that she speaks to him. She's very slinky, she's very cat-like, and everything she says is just dripping with double entendres. Yes. I, I know this is rather short notice, but I hope you won't be too disappointed in his replacement. <laughs> oh, no, no. Well, I feel it's only fair to warn you that uh, this job requires quite a bit of night work. Oh, I'm quite used to that, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> And when she laughs, she throws her head back and laughs like a supervillainess. Yeah, she does. Hush, hush, stop. Huh? Uh, hush, hush, stop. Oh, very. Hush, hush. Mm. As a matter of fact, I'd better take care of that right now before I start anything new. Can I help? I'm cleared for classified material, you know. 
Uh, no, this is not exactly classified. I consider it more top secret. Uh, why don't you check back with me in an hour, hmm? Okay. One thing I noticed when they did close-ups of her is how bad people's teeth were in these days. <laughs> and Tony's, too. And then I looked at Jeannie's. And it's like, you know what? Everybody has teeth that are totally unacceptable for modern television. Because nowadays, everybody's teeth are perfectly white. Indeed, indeed. They've all got their spray tans in place. Yes. So we should probably talk a little bit about the WAFs. Yes. Can you educate me about the WAFs? I don't really know what they are. I mean, except some sort of girl core. It stands for Women in the Air Force. It was a program that lasted from 1948 to 1976. It was started so that women could serve in a limited capacity in the Air Force. And it ended when women were finally permitted to serve equally with men in the military. Interesting. And when we see Corporal Burns, she's wearing a WAF uniform. It's very airline stewardess inspired. Yes, and pumps. Yeah. Are they supposed to wear pumps? Later in the episode, we see what they're really supposed to be wearing when Jeannie actually does her basic training. And that will be, I think, discussion worthy. You know what would be really cool is if you could find a WAF dress code from this time. Oh, yeah. Because I am curious what they say. I bet they have to wear skirts. I bet they have to wear a heel on their shoe. And I bet they have to wear hosiery. When the WAF started out, they were wearing very close to men's clothing. They had to wear collared shirts and men's neckties. That got phased out for this very deliberately more stewardess-inspired look. And they famously had a very clunky summer outfit, some sort of poplar cotton that needed to be ironed a lot and did not hang well. But this looks very tidy, very tailored. I'm sure that this has been somewhat modified. I'd be interested in what the real WAFs had to wear. You know, I have an ex-sister-in-law who was a stewardess for many years, Mm -hmm. and she's a little bit older than me, so probably started in the early 70s, and she was required to wear a girdle. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. It was part of the dress code that you had to wear a girdle. (laughs) Could you lie and say that you were wearing one? I mean, like, how how could anyone... I mean, like, you... (laughs) (laughs) Was it that obvious? I have no idea. But, you know, a girdle is just sort of around your abdomen to make sure you're skinny enough that your tummy stays flat. Right. You can also wear them if you have a hernia, but that's a whole different thing. I wonder if the wafts were required to wear girdles. I'm interested in that. If any of our listeners know the answers to these questions, please let us know in our comments. All right. So he escorts her out and she says, Bye. And sort of twists around a little bit. Super slinky. This is not a good poster child for the WAFs. Well, you know, later when Jeannie says she wants to be the secretary for Anthony Nelson, that older lady, what was her name? Major Fifield. Yes. She says, wouldn't we all? Yes. It's clear that <laughs> A, apparently Tony's handsomeness is renowned. B, it's Precisely the right attitude to throw yourself into the wafts and hope to be the comely secretary of a handsome captain. Yes. It's all about sex. <laughs> it's, it's very, you know, yes. We get to meet three different members of the wafts, and the, the youngest one is a little slinky sex kitten. 
the two older ones seem competent and take their jobs very seriously. But there is that brief intimation that, yeah, we expect you to behave like a little temptress. It's a bit shocking. Yes, it is a bit shocking. And I would also point out that it's Tony's handsomeness, not his personal charm that everybody's <laughs> interested in. Jeannie, you can come up. Jeannie, now come on up. Come on! Then Jeannie sits down at the typewriter, and she's pretending to type, and she's calling him boss. I am ready when you are, boss. Boss? Is that not what your secretary is supposed to call you? What are you talking about? Oh, 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 I see. You, you think I've lost my mind. I'm going to let you be my secretary. I will be a better one than that Corporal Burns, and I do not mind working nights either. He begins to list off the reasons why that can't be, and she counters his arguments with a little magical display. Well, in the first place, you can't type. In the second place, you can't file. You can't uh, take dictation. You can't even grab a pencil. (laughs) Shall we talk now about the time she uses and doesn't use magic in this episode? Sure. Because for some reason, maybe it's just because I'm an older person now, but I found this episode to be just so hard to go along with when she chooses to use magic and when she doesn't. It's just random. Yeah. Many of the scrapes that she gets into, she could just reverse. She could just get out of them. But she doesn't want to. And not to mention the fact that she couldn't just blink her eyes right now in the episode and have everybody brainwashed to think she always was Tony's (laughs) secretary, right? There are some weird ethics that get put in place. When she actually enlists, she insists that she's not going to use any genie tricks. I'm not sure why. I mean, Tony doesn't ask her to do that. But she breaks that vow only after repeated opportunities where she is thwarted in her efforts to get that job that she wants. And when she finally does, she immediately admits it to him, almost guiltily. So I I don't know. This is all rather arbitrary. Yeah, they have no consistent viewpoint about magic in this. It seems to me from scene to scene that they're just trying to make the best joke within their sense of humor about a dumb girl being super sexy and wanting to be with a guy who's resisting her. I'm ready when you are, Captain. I told you I would be a good secretary. Good. You're, you're terrific. You're fantastic. I get the job, Master. No. No, why not? Because, Jeannie, this is a military base. A rather important one, too. And because of security reasons, they do not use civilian personnel. You mean, in order to be your secretary, I would have to join the Air Force? Mm-hmm. You certainly wouldn't want to do that. I think it is a marvelous idea. Oh, then we could be together all the time. Hold on, now. There's a few facts you better get straight first. Facts? What facts? Well, I talked to Roger Healy this morning. And if you joined the WAF, you know where you'd be going? Where? You'd be going... Yes, he catches himself from saying Africa because he knows that's where all the WAFs are being sent. Yes. Tony would actually be delighted to have some time to himself because Jeannie's clinging codependence is absolutely stifling him. Yeah, he's very, again, inconsistent about that. Oh, yeah. You'd be going into the finest organization in the world. Oh. I want you to be proud of me. I'm going to become a wonderful WAF. And I will do it without using a single genie trick. So here she comes, dressed in a beautiful pink, more conservative, but sleeveless dress and pumps. 
Yeah, I was hoping that you'd talk about Jeannie's outfit. First time that we get to see her in some regular clothes. It's interesting. I remember when Michelle Obama wore a sleeveless outfit and there was all kinds of outrage because it was somehow unpresidential for Barack Obama's wife to show her arms. I just think this points out how really ludicrous that is. In the 1960s, in the early 1960s, going to a job interview where Jeannie is supposed to dress more conservatively, she wears a sleeveless pink dress. I think that this is a lovely dress, actually. It's very pretty. I think what I was struck by more in this particular set of scenes here is how every woman's hair is like a shell. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because not only are we seeing her in modern civilian dress, I think we're seeing her real hair, but I can't tell because it's been so aquanetted. Is it a wig or is it her hair? I think a lot of these are wigs, Mm. but it's very hard to tell with what they do to the real hair. It looks like you could go up to it with a pencil and tap on it and it would make a sound like wood. (laughs) Yes. Similarly, all the other women, they all have hair like this. Corporal Burns, who was Tony's replacement secretary, had a black beehive. Yes, her hair on top of her head was the same height as her actual face. (laughs) Yes. That's pretty high. If you saw a woman in the grocery store like that right now, you'd do a double take. I'd be alarmed. (laughs) Yeah, really weird. (laughs) Unless it's like a huge set of dreads or something like that. That's more commonplace now. But yeah, that beehive hairdo. Yeah, the cone head is startling. My grandmother, so she would go to the beauty parlor every week, Mm. and she would have been sort of from this era or a little bit earlier even, but she would go and get her hair set, and it would be all poofy and sprayed with tons of hairspray, and then she always had a satin pillowcase, and the satin pillowcase was supposed to keep her hair done until the next week when she would get her hair done again. Can you imagine that? That is hilarious and great. (laughs) (laughs) I think that Stephen's uh, grandmother also had her hair done like that. And I think she, I think she would wrap it in toilet paper at night. Oh, that could be. To try to keep it in as much of the original shape as possible for as long as possible. There are all forms of nightcaps and such to keep (laughs) your hair the right way until the next time. And then of course, women would sleep in rollers, which I know you've probably never tried it, but I did. And it's horrible. So you basically would have to lay down with your hair in rollers or wrapped up in toilet paper or on your satin pillow and cross your arms across your chest like you're in a coffin and hope that you don't move in the night? Yes. And if if you're laying on the rollers, I mean, some of those rollers are, they have sponge rollers and those are a little easier to sleep in. But the rollers that are like a hard plastic with little... What would you call it? Like little bristles on them? Little barbs. Yeah. They just poke into your head. It's horrible. (laughs) Now we have a little contribution from our special guest star, my husband, Stephen. My grandmother, she had a platinum beehive from the mid-60s until the day she died. It was amazing. It was the most remarkable confectionery hair held together with hairspray. It, It was spectacular. We used to joke that she was extraordinarily aerodynamic. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to get a photograph of Stephen's grandmother if we can. My grandmother, for many years, put her hair in curlers every evening, then wrapped it in toilet paper, 
and then wrapped it in a plastic bag and then slept like a mummy so that she would wake up with perfect hair the next morning. (laughs) Was it tissue paper or toilet paper? Because I imagine little shards of toilet paper getting stuck in the hairspray. Toilet paper. I remember her unrolling it. Um, (laughs) uh, She had pink toilet paper um, in the bathroom. I don't know if you remember that toilet paper used to come in pink. Oh, yeah. Because I guess it was prettier to wipe your butt with something pink (laughs) than white. She would unroll it from the roll. And uh, I would watch her as she spun it around her head. And then at the end, she would look like one of those aliens from Mars Attacks. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Stephen. My other grandmother, so one grandmother got her hair done once a week. The other grandmother always had her hair in a French twist, which I think is a lot like what Stephen's saying. It was ratted up, so it was poofy (laughs) on top, and then it had a French, what we called a French twist in the back. And I never saw her with her hair down in my whole life. (laughs) I love it. May I help you, please? I'm Captain Nelson. I spoke to you on the phone this morning. Oh, of course, Captain. It's a pleasure to meet you, sir. Well, this is the young lady that wants to become a WAF. Yes, ma'am. Well, there isn't a finer, nobler career you could have chosen. Would you like to sit down? Jeannie. Lieutenant Snyder, played by Peg Shirley, takes Jeannie's application. Jeannie answers honestly for about half a dozen questions before Lieutenant Snyder realizes that the responses are all crazy nonsense. Well, let's get a little information on her, all right? Name? Uh, my last name? Uh, Nelson. <laughs> Nelson. Oh, then she's a relative of yours, sir. Oh, uh, yes, yes, sir. Sort of. What relation is she to you, sir? Wife. <laughs> my wife's cousin. Oh. Uh, date of birth? July 1st. July 1st. Year? 21 B.C. Uh-huh. Age? <laughs> 1500. And place of birth. Pompeii. Um. She was born in Pompeii. Yeah, she was. Okay, so she's Italian. (laughs) 21 BC, 1500 years old. I I know I I should have been honest with you, Lieutenant. I am not really 1,500. Oh, I really didn't think so. (laughs) I am 2,000, but every woman lies about her age. That's adorable. (laughs) You hate it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a joke that's made over and over again on Bewitched, but I just prefer the delivery there. It's not my favorite joke on either show. I'm afraid, Jeannie, it tends to be a a bit of a practical joke. There's no harm intended, just in the spirit of fun, you know. She's enlisting in the WAFs, Captain, not in the Campfire Girls. Why don't you give us a fresh application, and then we'll go into another room and fill it out. It's no sense bothering you with all this, is it? Well, all right, Captain. Go in the room across the hall. Thank you very much. Thank you. Jeannie. This woman has to be subservient to Tony. So even though she has an applicant that walked into her office and just said crazy, crazy stuff, there's a man that's telling her, never mind, and she has to just say, okay. You fill it out. Well, as a, as a lieutenant, doesn't he outrank her as a captain? Oh, yeah, I guess that's true, too. It's not all gender-based. Chain of command. It's not just misogyny. Chain of command. Yeah. Were you a campfire girl? I was a brownie. Oh, okay. I was a brownie for a very short time. I was not a campfire girl, but I was in the 4-H. Oh. 
And what that meant was we went over to this girl's house who was kind of a strange gal. (laughs) Just not really super social, but her mom really wanted to do this 4-H stuff. So we'd go over there and learn to sew. So we sat in like this dark kitchen area and cut fabric and patterns on their kitchen table. How bizarre. Yeah. I was never a part of any youth development program. I think I did day camp once, but that was like a weird private day camp in the New York Athletic Club. I never was part of the scouts or anything else. Can I tell you I hate Girl Scout cookies and I wish people would stop trying to get me to eat them? Aw. They're horrible. (laughs) That's a very unpopular opinion. People love Girl Scout cookies. Why? They're they're, They're just the most fake, artificial kind of... Substandard cookie? Yeah, super substandard. Hmm. You're making many enemies, Molly. I may have to consider whether I include that opinion or not. I think that it's fine if our listeners hate me from time to time. (laughs) It's all in good fun. Just don't send me any Girl Scout cookies. Eat them yourself. (laughs) Enjoy them if you like them. Jeannie gets into the WAFs, and we get a montage of her six weeks in basic training in San Antonio, Texas. There is lots of stock footage of WAFs marching in sensible shoes. Yeah, Jeannie's not really there. They would never show Jeannie in those shoes. There are several classroom scenes where Jeannie appears to be studying hard, but in reality, she is daydreamily writing Tony's name over and over again with hearts, kisses, and hugs next to them. Nice handwriting. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. So now we meet the next supervisor in the WAFs, and Jeannie comes in wearing her WAF uniform, but with very different shoes, I must point out. (laughs) She's wearing a beautiful evening-style pump. And also to your point about physical comedy that you're not crazy about, there is a running gag that Jeannie cannot do an about-face. Oh, yeah. It turns into a spin and a stumble. Yes. I, I think of all those 80s and 90s comedies. Whenever they would take a beautiful woman and have her trip and fall on her face. Comedy gold. Ah, she's a comedian now. I've never been a fan of people getting hurt. But this whole episode from this point on just shows Jeannie having one accident after another. It's very cartoonish, the violence that we are seeing, especially in this episode of Jeannie. You know, that's true, too, because I was never a fan as a kid of the cartoons that are just people getting hurt. So Tom and Jerry. Yeah, Tom and Jerry, Bugs Bunny, that Roadrunner, you know, all that stuff. All the jokes were about a giant anvil falling on somebody's head. And it's like, why do people just love to see that? I couldn't get it. Well, because it would always be followed by giant goose eggs. Showing up on their heads. It was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) At ease, recruit. I've been studying your aptitude tests and the results are amazing. You're quite a remarkable young woman. Thank you. Major Margaret Fifield is the WAF commanding officer. She's played by Jane Dula, who's a comedy actress with a long career in television and films. They have this conversation, which kind of dishearteningly points to how thinly Jeannie is written. As you know, these tests determine your main interests and ability. They help us to place you in the jobs you seem best suited to. What did you find out about me? The average girl usually shows ability in several different fields. But we've given you five separate tests and the answer is always the same. It seems there's only one thing you're qualified to do. What is that? Nothing. Well, how can that be? 
I don't know. You have a very high IQ rating. To say that you're capable of nothing just doesn't seem right. No. Before you enlisted, you must have been doing something. Oh, yes, I was. What? Nothing. <laughs> There's a million feminist arguments you can make about why this is awful. For one thing, Jeannie hasn't been doing nothing. She's been waiting on Tony Nelson hand and foot, cleaning his house, making his meals, doing his laundry. The joke is that she can't admit this to the major because it goes hand in hand with her being a genie. But really, there's nothing to Jeannie besides her obsession with Tony. She has a high IQ, but she's just not qualified to do anything. It's pointing very clearly to the fact that Jeannie is a character with a lot of potential. Yeah. But they've given her nothing to do. I would make a wonderful secretary for Captain Anthony Nelson. (laughs) Wouldn't we all, my dear? This is a scene that's meant to be funny, but it's just kind of sad and awful. Yeah, I agree. Set for me, Major? Yes. So now she has the final come-to-Jesus moment with her boss, who goes through all of the things that she's done so far. From the hospital, we have this comment. Dangerous, approach with extreme caution. (laughs) From the dental lab, strongly urge that Recruit Nelson be declared a disaster area. (laughs) Sergeant Morgan, the driving instructor, writes... A terrifying experience. Administration says should be ideal for demolition work. Now, today, I believe we worked in communications. However, I haven't heard anything from them so far. I think you will get a phone call as soon as the power lines are working again. She can't take it, and she finally uses her magic to get what she wants. You'd be the ideal girl for Colonel Thomas. Colonel Thomas? Commanding officer at Lucas Air Base, North Africa. Oh, no, no. I want to be the secretary to Captain Anthony Nelson at Cape Kennedy. I said Colonel Thomas at Lucas Air Base, North Africa. Are you sure it was not Captain Nelson at Cape Kennedy? Of course I'm sure. Is there something wrong with your hearing? I distinctly told you to report to Captain Nelson at Cape Kennedy. Yes, ma'am. That is what I thought you said. So she broke her promise not to use magic. Though, again, it was not something Tony asked of her. I don't really care. I'm just pointing out. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think of Jeannie as a big moral role model. So the fact that she doesn't keep her word is just kind of surprising because she could have done it so much sooner. That's what I pointed out at the beginning. Why did we have to go through all this? Why didn't she just (laughs) make herself Tony's secretary? She could have not only done that, but she could have brainwashed him to think it was a great idea. Yeah, it's a flimsy plot that's driven by (laughs) Bill Davenport's crummy writing. Yeah. So, bring us home, Molly. Tony is shown going to his car for some reason, driving into Cape Kennedy, and then being surprised to find Jeannie at the desk. Corporal Lola Burns was transferred to North Africa, but we'll see her again. Actually, she plays the same character in another episode. Oh, nice. Yeah. Just as sexy and full of innuendo, I'm sure. We'll have to see. Then Tony breaks the news that he's not really even going to be around for a while and won't be needing a secretary, and then Jeannie resigns. 
Yeah. She's like, why the fuck did I do all this shit? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she throws a magical tantrum and upends his entire office. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. And your idea of her being a willful toddler is borne out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. As ridiculous as any drunken rock star in a hotel room, she just tears up the place. Yeah. I would be, if I were Tony right now, I'd just be very frightened. <laughs> so a couple of things that I just wanted to quickly talk about this episode. I like the fact that we're presented three other characters that are WAFs. And yeah, the first one, Lola Burns, the corporal who shows up again, is a sly, sexy vamp. She was played by Eileen O'Neill. The second one, Lieutenant Snyder, who takes the application, played by Peg Shirley, is kind of school teacherish. The last one, Major Fifield, played by Jane Dulo, is to all appearances a very competent leader. The first two actresses make several appearances in Bewitched. Oh. I think it's kind of interesting that we see a lot of the same faces between these two rival shows on rival networks. It's a curious thing. Yeah. I don't know that this is the best publicity that the WAFs could ask for. Well, I guess you have to think about the time. Women were recruited into roles in those days just because they were glamorous. So showing a person that one could describe as glamorous in that role... And again, I go back to the stewardess. You said that they were dressed like stewardesses. Trips and you could marry a handsome pilot. I think the same thing is being played out here, that these WAFs are on the hunt for... Marriage material. Marriage material, exactly. Sure, it's work and it's serious work. And yet at the same time, it can be a way to fall in love and get yourself set for a lifetime. Glamorous, jet-setting, travel, Mm -hmm. hard work. But there are lots of handsome, eligible men around you. Astronaut, come on. (laughs) Oh, I think I hear the music. It must be time for us to go. Thank you for joining us. Please join us again next week for another episode of I Dream of Genie. In the meantime, you can listen to other shows on the Piwacket Podcast Network. The Brothers Grimmer with Bert and Fran. Knuckle Sandwiches with Jason and Frank. Kindred Spirits with Stephen and Bert. Well, until next time. Until next time. Bothered and Bewildered is a production of the Piwacket Podcast Network. Our opening song is sung by Melissa Arning. A special thanks to Melissa for letting us use it.
Sidney Sheldon wrote the majority of the episodes for the full run of I Dream of Jeannie. And he got so bored of seeing his name up there that he used a lot of pen names. Really? So he wrote this episode also? Uh, no, actually, this one was written by Bill Davenport. He actually, this is one of the rare instances where it's not written by Sidney Sheldon. This is a screenwriter who wrote a lot of episodes of The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet and Mr. Ed, two shows that you love deeply. You know, Ozzie and Harriet, not so much, but I do remember watching Mr. Ed as a kid. And the characters are kind of different in that. The wife is always angry in that. I always thought of Mr. Ed as an extension of Green Acres. Oh, it's kind of different. But I mean, it is a little bit magical. I mean, gosh, maybe we need to do a Mr. Ed episode. Because <laughs> a talking horse has to be magic. Yeah, anyway, we don't need to go on and on about Mr. Ed. <laughs> I think we're just <laughs> avoiding the episode now. Just like uh, it was when I was looking at the cleaning out your closet stuff instead <laughs> of watching. <laughs> These guys are both tanned, though. They probably really were in the sun. Yeah, they're scalded. The ones that are still alive are very wrinkly. Mm -hmm. And everybody's wearing false eyelashes. Remember that from the last one? Uh, yes. Did you, did you, I may cut this out, but did you sit through the little capper that I had of uh, the oh, conversations yeah, totally. that I cut out? Okay. God. Totally. I sent it to my son's girlfriend. Oh, no, you did. Yeah, because. <laughs> She's been listening to the podcast. She's really excited to get another episode. She's a big fan. Okay. And yeah, that's nice. And I said she should listen all the way to the end because there's a funny story about Nathan in it. So. <laughs> yeah, everyone in this is wearing false eyelashes too. Now that I've mentioned it, do you notice it at all? No. In no. fact, I think I had deliberately forgotten it since we had. It wasn't until I was editing our last episode that I remembered that you had given me that homework assignment. I'll do my best for the remainder of today. Pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> and look at look at sexy young male models. Mm. They have long... I'm sure a lot of them have false eyelashes on. It's... Or some sort of thickening in their makeup because eyelashes have a magical power. I, I have to admit, really when do. whenever I say that, oh, that guy is really good looking, half the time I mean that he has either a great physique... The other half of the time, I mean that he has great hair. I'm not looking at eyelashes. I, I really am not. But I'll, I'll, I'll try. I'm going to try and send you a picture of a before and after of people with eyelashes okay. on. Because <laughs> I think it's something that just people don't overtly notice it. But it does convey something subliminally. Mm. And I would say that when you look at a cute guy, that you probably look at his eyes. Don't you? Uh, yes. Sure. Okay. All right. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's very it's very forward. Looking someone in their eyes? Good Lord. Well, I guess, right, right. In a magazine you would, though, wouldn't you? We, we are married people. Even if you're glancing well, at a good-looking person in a magazine, there should, should just be surreptitious, <laughs> fleeting glances. No, no eye, eye contact, contact with the magazine not, photo? Not even with a magazine photo. <laughs> anyway. That's a long end around. You can just cut all that out. I, I, I loved it. I think oh, that's exactly you? the... No, I think that's perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Special guest star, Stephen. Oh, now Brian's walking into the room. Special guest star, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, does Brian have anything to contribute? No, he hasn't been listening, so he... No, 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 but, 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 oh. but, but, like, did he have any family members who had beehives? 
Brian, do you have any family members that had weird beehive hairdos? Do you want to talk about him at all? I don't. Oh. <laughs> nope, we're not getting Brian. That's fine. <laughs> um, sorry, we're still driving into Cape Kennedy. They missed. I had to have some filler. Filler. <laughs> it's a filler scene. <laughs> Stretch it out. But at the end of the day, the person who gets the most action is Roger Healy. Yeah. Uh, mediocre middle-aged man. Yeah. What's up with that? How old was Roger when he did this? I bet he's younger than you think. Hmm. I have the impression that people looked older then than they do now. I don't know. This is a weird impression, but I think it's kind of true. Like I look at old movies and see like famous, you know, Gregory Peck and think he looks like he's like 45. And then I find out he was only 27 in that movie or whatever. I Dream of Jeannie came out in 1965. Bill Daly, who plays Roger Healy, would have been 38. Yeah, that's that seems about right, actually. What about Tony? Larry Hagman was 34 in 1965. Uh, yeah, I guess that seems about right. Yeah. And Jeannie was substantially younger. Oh, you have to ask. Barbara Eden was 34 in 1965. So she and Larry Hagman were the same age, essentially, yeah. year two yeah. apart. 